At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Can an event that happened 2,000 years ago impact your life today? Now, you might say, no way. I mean, the ordinary things of life that happened 2,000 years ago, what, what people did for their jobs and what they ate and where they lived and just kind of this simple, ordinary stuff of life, that, that doesn't really impact anything of my life today. And, and so you might zoom out and say, well, what about the big things? What about the big events in human history? Those have impact in your life today. And in a certain ways, some do, absolutely. I mean, we think about the invention of the wheel. Thank you very much. We could get here in a vehicle today because of that. Or, or what about the printing press? Most of us have copies of the Bible or we have books. We have other things that we could, we could read and look at as a result. Here's a little subtle one, but I think the signing of the Magna Carta, that has something to do with our lives today. If you don't know what that is, uh, we'll have a brief introduction to history uh, a little bit later. The rise and the fall of empires and all the things that go on in them may, to some degree or another, have an impact in how we live. It may have created layers of realities in our lives that today we are built upon. But I would guess that most of you would go, I don't know if it has a real big impact. Like, does it, does it really, really matter that Julius Caesar was stabbed in the back and assassinated 2,000 plus years ago? Maybe, but you don't wake up thinking about it. It's not the thing that shapes your everyday life, unless you're a historian of Julius Caesar, and then we'll have another conversation. As Christians, we believe that an event that we celebrate today, Resurrection Sunday, the, the, the rising of Jesus from the dead, from the tomb, that occurred as an actual historical event. And it is from that event in human history that absolutely everything is changed and impacted by. We confessed it this morning uh, just a little bit ago from the Apostles' Creed, that, that early statement of faith in the church that helps us unify and understand what it is the essentials are of the Christian faith. The Apostles' Creed places us in the story of God at work in the world and identifies for us the one who came to change everything. It talked about Jesus Christ, and so we professed and said, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Christians today believe that the events of 2,000 years ago, the life of Jesus Christ, 
his crucifixion and his resurrection, ascension, and his coming again impact absolutely everything. And it's the reality of that statement that on the third day he rose from the dead that gives shape and impact and meaning to all of life. Now, these last few lines of the Apostles' Creed about Jesus here, which we have on the screen, speak about the event which I will just summarize and call Jesus' victory. His resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the Father, where he is seated right now, and his future return and coming again to judge all people, the living and the dead, that is Jesus' victory. And I want to show you this morning that Jesus' victory absolutely impacts everything. It should be the central event of history that changes the daily things of our lives, that deals with the here and the now and every moment. Jesus' victory impacts everything. But you might be a little skeptical about that statement. Oh, perhaps that you feel that it's a nice slogan. Jesus' victory impacts everything. Oh, that feels warm. Feels good. Maybe it's a, an inspirational mantra that you could, could take up and start your day with and get after. Yet, even though you feel good about it, perhaps you are one that, as you look at the big picture of your life, you're not quite sure how it really matters. Does Jesus' victory impact everything? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're tired, you're a little defeated in life, maybe worn down overwhelmed by things. And you you hear me say this statement, Jesus' victory impacts everything, and you wonder, how how could that be true? Life is not going well. It doesn't feel like victory right now. How does it impact everything when you feel like the loss column is greater than the win column in your life? Maybe you believe in Jesus. You've put your faith and hope in him, but you're unsure in the daily stuff of life how His resurrection really impacts how you live. So I want to answer this question this morning for us. What does Jesus' victory mean for you? What does Jesus' victory mean for me? What is the reality of that statement in our everyday lives? And the passage of Scripture that we'll be in this morning is here in 1 Corinthians 15, which John read for us just a few moments ago. If you have a Bible and would like to open that, I would encourage you to do so so you can follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have the scripture on the screen so you can see that what I'm saying uh, comes from God's word. I didn't make this up on my own. And uh, if you'd like to look at a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that. That's yours. You can have it. Uh, Or if you want to find a neighbor next to you, I am sure they will share with you and help you along in that. But I want to show us from this passage this morning the news, that the impact of what Jesus has done, his victory, I want to show us what that impact is and how it has bearing for all of our lives. And I, and I want to show you in these verses the three realities of Jesus' victory and how that impacts our lives even today. So let's look in. The first reality of Jesus' victory and how it impacts our lives deals with this, and that is good news that all believers will be made alive. All believers will experience resurrection from the dead. Just as Jesus was raised, so everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus has that good reality coming for you. It's a good thing. Uh, The Apostle Paul says this in verse 20. He says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
Now notice here how Paul is presenting this. It's not a legend to him, or it's not some sort of myth or speculation or some sort of like abstract, idealized spirituality. The Apostle Paul believes that this is a real historical event. He testifies that he himself has seen Jesus with his own two eyes. He has seen the raised Jesus with his own two eyes. It's true. And Paul leans in more, if you go back into the beginning of chapter 15, he confesses and says that, that we saw Jesus, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, he appeared, and then to the twelve, then he appeared he was raised and they saw over to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, he says. There is eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've seen him. I find it interesting, noted skeptic and writer in our day, Nicholas Kristof, he has a habit of, around these religious holidays every year, uh, interviewing and asking particular people of faith of various traditions and, and some who are not Christians at all, even what they believe and why that's important. And so a few years ago, he interviewed a pastor from downtown Manhattan, New York City, uh, Tim Keller. And he wrote this interview up in the New York Times, and he made this statement and then asked Keller a question. He said, I deeply admire Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. You say, yes, I admire Jesus, and I admire his message. That's what Christoph says. But he says, I'm skeptical of the resurrection. He says, can I be a Christian while I doubt or even deny the resurrection? What do you think? Keller's response was very helpful. He says, the Christian church is pretty much inexplicable if we don't believe in a physical resurrection. It's hard to account for thousands of Jews virtually overnight worshiping a human being as divine, as God, when everything about their religion and culture conditioned them to believe that was not only impossible, but it was deeply heretical. The best explanation for the change was that many hundreds of them had actually seen Jesus with their own eyes. Paul states that as a, as a fact, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he says, if this isn't true, if the resurrection isn't true, then we have a couple problems. First of all, you are wasting your time. I mean, why are we here? Why are we not out having brunch right now and just doing life as normal and let's get that hour or so back? This is, if Christ hasn't been raised, this is foolish. And even worse... I'm a wicked guy because I'm telling you lies, I'm trying to trick you into believing them. But no, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is alive. And because he is alive, that means good things for you and for me. Specifically, it means that all who believe and trust in Jesus alone as the one who is Savior and Lord will be resurrected or made alive also. Now, Paul points us to Jesus as one who is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has been raised from the dead, and he describes him as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When Paul talks about those who have fallen asleep, that's a metaphor that he is using to speak of death. 
and he says Jesus as the first fruits means that he is the, the first one in the line. He's the first one out of the gate in resurrection. He is the first fruits of the harvest, as it will, of life eternal. Jesus stands at the front of the line, leading all of those who are his on in resurrection life. And here's where the impact of that is to our lives. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, so too everyone who believes in him also will be made alive. This is what he says in verse 21 and 22. And here's the reason for that. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And he just takes us back to the very beginning of the Bible and he says, look, remember Adam? He ate of the forbidden fruit in the garden, and as he ate, the curse of death fell upon him and the entire human race. Everybody dies. We're all in Adam. But just as death came through one man, so resurrection comes through one man as well. Jesus is the second Adam, the greater one who died and was made alive. So just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all who are in Christ will be made alive. Let's just face the music for a moment this morning. Let me get serious with you. Death is coming for every one of us. Nobody gets to escape it. It's as inevitable as tax day this next week. Reminder for you. And that's how I know every one of us are in trouble because we all die. And, and yet, while we die, we feel the desire and the longing to live forever. There are billionaires in Silicon Valley right now that are hoping to invent a drug that will keep us alive perpetually or figure out some way to escape it, and every one of them will fail. The death rate is 100% in human history. And yet, we don't even want to remotely consider that our lives will end. Furthermore, we don't want to acknowledge the sinking feeling inside that something is wrong with us. And that we've done wrong things. I mean, we, we bristle at the idea of judgment. It, it puts us off. So what do we do with those feelings that the world is broken, that we're broken, that the world is wrong, that we're wrong? Well, we suppress those feelings. We, we medicate them away. We self-medicate them away. We try and hide them. We do everything we can to make sure that we don't feel something's wrong. Maybe you came here today and hoped that I wouldn't talk too much about judgment. Perhaps you hoped that I wouldn't speak about death because you really wanted to be inspired and lifted up today. Well, I'm getting you there, okay? But let's face it. Death is coming for every one of us. Your death is coming. And yet the good news is that everyone who is in Christ will be made alive. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all who are in him, will be made alive. So how do you get in Christ? How, how does that reality, that position become yours? Well, friends, it's a matter of a heart change. And God can do that. Only God can do it. He can change your heart. How does he change your heart? What do you need to do? Friend, acknowledge, first of all, that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you have failed to obey God's standard and you have sinned by your evil thoughts and deeds, that you have sinned against God by what you have done and by what you have also failed to do. And confess that sin to God. Acknowledge to Him that you are a sinner. Cry out for His mercy and grace. 
But don't stay there. Turn your eyes and look and believe in Jesus. See what Jesus has accomplished for you. That he came and stood in your place and lived the perfect life you have not lived. And that he died. He went to the cross on your behalf for your sin. He died in your place. And then on the third day, he was raised to life again victoriously as king and Lord and Savior. Confess your sin and turn and believe in Jesus. And you will be found in Christ. Scripture says if you confess your mouth, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, if that internal action happens that you believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with our, mouth, our heart that one believes internally and is declared righteous, and it's with our mouth that one confesses and is saved. If you do that, you will be fully and completely alive, never to taste death again. Death, in fact, will merely be a doorway through which you enter God's eternal kingdom and enjoy and experience eternal life. Friend, if you are not in Christ today, confess your sin, acknowledge it, take your sin to Jesus, look on him and believe you'll be saved. Let me, in fact, right now give you space to pray and to seek God's mercy, especially if you have never done so. Pray right now and acknowledge your sin to God. Ask him to give you a new heart. Place your faith in Jesus. I'll pause and give you a moment to do so. If you've trusted Christ this morning, in this moment, let me be a friend and a brother to you and welcome you to the family of God. Let me declare to you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the good news is that as you've placed your faith in him, you belong to him. You are his. You will have life with him forever. Let me ask you, if you've done that this morning, would you, after the service, would you come and find me and tell me that today you have trusted Christ? I want to help you grow in him and flourish in your new faith. Every one of you should get a book, if you haven't already this morning, called Is Easter Unbelievable? And we want to help equip you and supply you with a resource to even help you, even today, if you haven't believed yet, to understand what the resurrection is and what Christ has done and how it is real and true. And I would encourage you to take that resource and read it. But if you've acknowledged and confessed your sin before God and believed in your heart that Christ has raised you, that Jesus is Lord, you are in Christ, friend, and you will be raised to new life again. You will be made whole. Because of Jesus' victory, all believers in him will be made alive. That future day of good news is there. But there's more for us. The victory of Jesus impacts everything. And so the second reality of Jesus' victory and how it impacts our lives today is that secondly, all enemies will be defeated. All enemies will be defeated. Now let's go back to our text here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, but to each his own order... Christ, the firstfruits, afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, now, in speaking about the resurrection, the final resurrection, Paul says that there's an order of events here. In the drama of redemption, there is a way in which things unfold. 
You know, if you go to a baseball game or, or even a concert or some sort of uh, performance or something like that, you will always notice there is a particular order in which things unfold. Uh, a play will have Act A. I'm sorry, Act 1 and Act 2, scene A, scene B. Uh, a baseball game will unfold inning by inning by inning. Things don't get out of order. You don't sing, take me out to the ball game after the second inning. That's weird. And in the same way, in the drama of redemption and resurrection, God has an order as well. And so he lays it out. Here's the order. First of all, event one, Christ, the first fruits, he was raised. Now, that's a past event. That's what we look back 2,000 years ago and we celebrate today as the resurrection. Jesus has been raised to life again. Hallelujah. It's good news for us. But then there's another event, each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then afterward, well, when afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Paul is saying here there's a future day coming when Christ returns and he comes back, what we have confessed in the Apostles' Creed, when those who belong to Christ are raised. Brothers and sisters, our resurrection day awaits when Jesus Christ returns. And then there's a third event. Very simply put in verse 24, then comes the end. It's all done. We're with God forever. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, hands the kingdom over to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. Now here's just a picture of how this works out. Christ raised and then he will come again and we will be raised. And in between that and as he comes again, he is working to bring in and secure the kingdom of God. God the Father has sent Christ to secure his kingdom and to make all things right. And so Jesus the King works to secure every area of his empire to ensure there are no splinter cells of rebellion or evil Jesus the King is working as the victorious one to put to defeat every rebel spirit, every demonic stronghold. He is bringing all things into submission. Every traitor, every rebel ruler that tries to usurp his reign and supplant his ultimate authority. And the good news is Jesus will be ultimately victorious. No one will beat him. I love this picture of King Jesus eradicating every foe and villain against him. And you might recoil against that. You might say, whoa, that's like an aggressive Jesus. That's a Jesus on the offense. Jesus working in war, bringing all things to himself. But isn't that what we truly long for in our hearts? Don't, don't we desire for there to be a hero to rescue us and to make everything right? Don't we long for the happily ever after ending when everything is peaceful and tranquil and there is no war, there is no more violence, there is no more turmoil or suffering or tears or sadness or shame? Isn't that what our hearts are totally longing for? Everyone wants a life where there is unending and uninterrupted peace. And for any kingdom to have that peace, then that peace must be secured. It means there must be a victorious conqueror who is making all things right. And Jesus is that one. Uh, Revelation 19, the last book of the Bible, propels us forward and gives us a vision of the King of Kings, Jesus, returning. And in righteousness, it says, he judges and makes war. 
John writes and he says, Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what the Apostles' Creed speaks about in the victory of Jesus, reminding us that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The day is coming when all enemies will be put under his feet. Verse 25 shows us that, the culmination of it all. For he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy, verse 26, to be abolished is death. Death is our great enemy. Death is the enemy of Christ. And although death got a blow in at the cross, on the third day, Jesus began his victory tour, putting all enemies under his feet. Death is the last one, and he will break death. Death will be no more. Friends, death has a funeral date coming. And then, glorious forever with him, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. No more grief, crying, and pain. They will be no more because the previous things have been passed away. Jesus abolishes every enemy. The happy ending to the story is going to come true. Everything bad will come untrue. And that's the good news. The the Jesus' victory that began at the resurrection, it continues in his ascension and will culminate in his return when he comes again and every enemy will bow to him. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Friends, think think about the loved ones in your life that have died and the pain that is there. Death stinks. I can't wait to see death destroyed once and for all. Can you? Jesus' victory means all those who believe in him will be raised again. And Jesus' victory means that all enemies, especially death, will be defeated, will be put underfoot. There's one more impact that Jesus' victory has in our lives today, and that is this, that all things will be reconciled to God forever. Now, here's how Paul wraps up this paragraph in verse 27. He says, For God has put everything under his feet. God the Father has put everything under the feet of Christ, in submission to Christ. Now, here Paul is quoting Psalm chapter 8, verse 6, where David says of God about the Son of Man, the Christ, the Messiah, You made him a ruler over the works of your hands, you put everything under his feet. Just as Jesus is the creator of all things, he is also the sovereign and supreme ruler over everything. There is not one inch of our human existence over which Christ, who is king, does not declare mine. He is the creator and the ruler, but he is also the reconciler of all things to God. So here's how Paul speaks of this relationship of the son and the father. He says the father has put all things under Jesus' reign and dominion, he's put all things under his feet, except, of course, himself, the Father. He stands above and over all. When he says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. 
And the Son is now working to bring all things into right order underneath His reign and rule. He is the reconciler. And so that, verse 28, when everything is subject to Christ, when all things are made new and all things are right, then the Son Himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to Him, so that God may be all in all. Paul here is just helping us see Everything rightly ordered, everything in its right place, everything perfect and new and glorious and good, the Father over all things, the Son in relationship to the Father, and all things, perfect harmony, righteous reconciliation, all things new and beautiful and right. Redemption will be complete. This is the vision of what what heaven is. It's what we desire and hope for. Perfect peace and happiness for all our days, forever. Augustine, a pastor in North Africa in the 4th century, in his huge book, The City of God, he he helps capture this vision and give give language to it that, that helps us see what Christ is doing. He says it this way, Who can measure the happiness of heaven? Where no evil at all can touch us, no good will be out of reach where life is going to be one long laud extolling God who will be all in all, where there will be no weariness to call for rest, and there will be no need to call for toil. There will be no place for any energy but praise. God will be the source of all satisfaction, more than any heart can rightly crave, more than life and health, food and wealth, glory and honor, peace and every good, so that God, as Paul has said, may be all in all. He will be the consummation of all our desiring, the object of our unending vision, of our unlessening love, of our unwearying praise. And in this gift of vision, this response of love, this paean of praise, all alike will share as all will share in everlasting life. I cannot think of anything greater and better than to be one of those who experiences the eternal bliss and happiness of delight forever with God. There's nothing in my mind that could be sweeter than never seeing anything sad ever again the never experiencing every, anything broken, the never experiencing any wickedness, never doing or having done to me any evil, never being the object or the actor in destructive realities again, only forever, friends, eternal joy, eternal delight, only eternal and never-ending love. Why? Jesus Christ is victorious. He rose from the dead. And because that is true, this is no dream or desire or some gra- something that's out of my reach and out of my grasp. It's a reality that everyone who believes and trusts in him will experience. Do you desire this? Are you eager for this life forever with God? If you belong to Jesus Christ... It's yours. Bank on it. The victory of Jesus is yours. So so let me conclude in asking this. 
Could an event that happened 2,000 years ago really impact your life today? You could leave here this morning and you, you could stay the same. You say, oh, that was nice, lovely. You go after the same mundane things, pursue the same mundane existence. Sorry if I'm making your life sound really boring. Talk about my life. It's, you know, not that exciting. But just, we could leave here today and just go on our way, just do our things, headed to death. You can continue today in your persistent sin, in your rebellion against God. You, you, can, you can persist in even your passive aggressiveness towards God and make Jesus your enemy. You can live today, you can walk out of these doors and you can live today as if you are supreme. You are the one that matters most. You're the MVP of your own life. And you will find one day that you will be forced to bow the knee to King Jesus when he comes again. Or your life can be absolutely turned upside down because Jesus is victorious. If you believe in the victory of Jesus demonstrated in the resurrection from the grave, then yes, it will absolutely impact everything. From here on out, you have a hope that you will be made alive just as Jesus Christ was made alive. From here on out, you have the hope and the joy of knowing that your enemy, death, will be defeated and crushed underfoot, and all the enemies of God will be vanquished. In Christ's victory is your victory. And yeah, you can leave here today in Christ with the hope that you have been reconciled to God and you have peace with God through Jesus Christ and that all things will be made new and right and the glory of heaven forever with him is yours. You can't wait to get to that day to be with him. And friends, if you're in Christ, you will see God. So let me ask you, Will the victory of Jesus impact your life? Is what Jesus did and began 2,000 years ago when he rose from the grave, will it have any impact in your life today? I pray that it does. He is alive. He is victorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending him on our behalf who gave his life so that we could be reconciled to you. He was raised from the dead so that we would never have to taste death fully and completely. That We have the hope of resurrection in our own lives and the joy of knowing that we will be with you forever. And so, Father, I pray that we would not leave this place the same that we would be changed by the reality of Jesus' victory and that our lives from this moment on would chase after and pursue your grace and your love and your victory because it is ours. No longer, Lord, I pray that we would go on living our mundane, ordinary lives, ignoring you, forgetting what Christ has done, being indifferent to his grace and victory. But today we would live resurrection lives that you would be glorified in everything. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.